Welcome to the Parent University Podcast. Parent University is a monthly training seminar for parents of teenagers here at Perimeter Church. It is our desire to come alongside families by equipping them to lead their children in a biblical, God-honoring way. We hope you enjoy the following talk. All right. Good morning. Welcome again to Parent University. We're glad that you're here. We got a few people at least returned from after last month. And um, as I said, uh, the purpose of Parent University is really to shrink the gap between the student ministry and parents. We want to come alongside you to help equip your child for maturity. And that's our main desire and goal. And again, we're going to start uh, knowing that people will drift in the first 15 minutes. I always want to start with some type of media connection. Uh, something in pop culture that um, at least I find interesting, and I hope that you find it interesting as well. Let me pray, and we'll just kind of jump into that. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you again for the privilege of uh, investing in the lives of students, and thank you so much for these parents who you have called each one of them to a specific mission, and that mission is to invest in the life of their kids. And Lord, it's a, it's a huge privilege and a huge responsibility and we thank you for that, and we ask that your spirit would guide us and equip us to that end. All this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I am uh, 43, and I'm not as uh, technically savvy as I would like to be, but I have a lot of young guys on my staff, so I'm trying to continually get more you know, with it, with the iPad and the iPhone and stuff. So if I mess up technically today, just know it's probably me and not them. But um, we're going to try going through uh, the slides uh, this way, and we'll see how this works. So we want to start with a little movie clip today. So talk to me for a second and tell me what, um, anything stick out to you specifically about that movie clip. What's that? There's a woman in The Three Musketeers. Now, is, is she just any woman? No? What is it about her that's amazing? Okay, she's the greatest swordsman in Europe, right? Is there something, anybody find that a little bit odd based on the time period of the piece and everything? That that's a little bit strange. That, and what's to me is even more fascinating about this clip is they talk about, there's one line in there, I don't know if you caught it, about her. She's our only hope. Okay, now, of course, I know around my house, uh, my wife is our only hope in the whole, as a family. So I, I, can, I can relate to that. And, and I want you to know that I don't want to diss women at all today as we, as we talk about this. What I kind of want to talk about in this media moment here at the front end is the man crisis, is what I'll call it. Okay, and you can find stuff about this in media, in newspaper articles, um, and different things like that. Uh, it's very prevalent. And um, let's see, we, we saw uh, here a few years ago, you remember the movie About a Boy? Okay. Uh, and there's a new movie out, Our Idiot Brother. And these movies are kind of glorifying the man crisis, okay, in media. You see, you see these guys, and they're what we call like man children, okay? We used to have, uh, we used to rent out rooms in our house, and we had some man children live with us for a while. You know, these are 20 to 25, or in this case, I mean, these guys are in their 30s, going on 40, and they still haven't grown up. And this is something that you see in media. Um, we see it, I see it actually in our youth ministry. You see, as, as kids come in from junior high into high school, even as we look around and go, where are the guys who are stepping up to lead, the guys who are really interested in pursuing Christ? We tend to see it, and again, it's a generalization, more for the girls that are doing that. Now, of course, we all know developmentally, girls mature faster than boys, and so that's not entirely unusual, except if you talk to, talk to some of the young ladies in the gathering, they'll tell you it, does, it hasn't changed much after high school or college, and it, it is a trend that you kind of see moving up. There's books written about it. There's articles. Um, it's definitely a huge issue. Uh, now, a lot of what I'm talking about, or what I've noticed today, is just kind of circumstantial. I don't have all the answers for us today. I just want to make you aware of this and what, what I see and what, what we see going on. It's interesting that we had the Promise Keepers movement in the 90s. I don't know if any of you were involved with that or came to Christ through the Promise Keepers movement. I was at Stand in the Gap in D.C., um, and it was huge, and it just seemed like it was sweeping the nation, and men were being called 
to, uh, to be a part of something great and a huge movement, and it was awesome. And then all of a sudden, it just tanked. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. I actually tried to do some research this week to find out why it tanked. And a lot of people are going to say structurally, organizationally, financially issues. And all of that's probably true, but I, it's curious to me that the rise in internet pornography coincided with the tanking of the Promise Keepers movement. Um, the internet came online really in mass, if you think about it, in the mid-90s. And as, uh, as the internet grew, uh, that movement died. I don't know if that's a, a, a connection that's real or not. Uh, people are getting married later. Now you have uh, men and women waiting till their late 20s. Usually now they're getting a, a master's degree before they get married, or that's putting a lot of pressure on that, the job market and things like that. But we need, as parents, to be thinking about these things and having these conversations with our kids. Um, think of the pressure that it puts on your children to delay having sex until they're 30, okay? Um, Throughout history of the human race, people have gotten married much younger than that, right? I know my parents got married early 20s. My mom was in her teens. Uh, that was not unusual probably for a lot of us with our parents, okay? And now with where we're at, just, I'm just saying it's a, it's a conversation that's worth having with your 17, 18, 19, 20-year-old daughter or son even to say, hey, uh, and even for us to rethink what is... What is right, and is it, is it better to be financially secure or sexually pure? Okay, and again, part of my purpose in having even this class is to get you to think. I don't want to make that decision for you, but I want you to be thinking about it, uh, and I want you to be talking to your kids about it. Um, the, uh, yeah, I'm hoping I'm going the right direction here. The interesting thing about that late date in marriage is... Um, guys are sexually active. They have no reason to get married. If you think about it, men mature. Marriage is a huge maturing factor in men, right? And so if men are delaying marriage until almost 30, and one of the things that makes men grow up is marriage, we see one of the reasons why probably men are not growing up. They don't have to be responsible. They can, they can go play video games. They have access to sex. There's some really good articles. I'll try to put the link on uh, our webpage about just the idea of getting married younger and, and just the implications. There's a sociologist out of the University of Texas who's written some really fascinating stuff on this. So we'll put some of that up. Um, more women are going to college now than men. Uh, actually, in 1970, men earned 60% of all college degrees. In, 80, in 1980, it fell to 50%. And now, uh, three, three to two are women uh, going to college and earning degrees. In the top 15 job growth sectors in the United States, only two of the top 15 are predominantly men. The others are women. And so we see a whole transformation going on within our culture as far as women taking the lead in the workforce, women taking the lead in the universities. And you know, this is just a trend that's not, not too excited about uh, in, in what the implications are of that. Now, how, what does this have to do? Let's, let's just, uh, what I want to point out is where this is in media, and, and I'm sorry to do this, because once I point it out, it's going to drive you crazy. Because just like the Three Musketeer thing, you're going to see it everywhere, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to drive you crazy. <laughs> um, I think, where are the good pictures of men in media, the solid ones. Like, think of the TV shows that you watch or the movies that you watch. Are there man's men, as, as Randy, you know, always says, well, you know, where's the man's men that, 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 are, that are in media that we're letting our kids watch these shows, okay? And, and they're getting their cues from that. And then how are we doing that? I think one of the reasons that superhero movies right now are super popular is because there is that positive male role model that's happening in these in these comics because comic books aren't super popular. I mean, they're not they're not as popular any more popular than they've ever been, as far as I'm aware. But the movies are on a huge rise. Um, well, let's let's just look at some of these things uh, because because of this change that's happening in culture, it's reflected in the media. Okay, and uh, Lord Croft was one of the first ones that uh, really took off. Now, this was a very popular video game, again, starting in the 90s, 
of a video game. And I really think it was just a simple, guys were making this video game. It's kind of an Indiana Jones character. Um, and what they did is make it into a sexy girl because they thought if teenage boys and guys in their 20s are playing this game, we might as well have the avatar be a girl that they want to look at, I think was a simple matter of doing that. But then, of course, it turned into a movie series, and the female action hero is alive and well and moving on. But if you think about it, they're just... Every single major new TV show has to do with a main lead character that's a woman, and she's not just any woman, she is like tough, and tough as nails, usually strong or stronger than all the guy in the ensemble cast, okay? Uh, in Plain Sight, love this show. The girl is fascinating, uh, her life is, is uh, very complicated, but she's the tough one in her partnership, her, her egghead kind of partner is not um, as engaged. Closer. Just even look at the poster. I mean, look, I mean, or the advertisement, right? She's up front and she's over all those guys in the background. Now, again, there's, there's nothing wrong with that if this was like a one show, but it just continues on and on. Um, this movie, Salt, I don't know if any of you saw this. I did not see the movie, but I did read about it. Do you know in the original book, the character was a guy? They finish up a the, the main character, Salt, was a man, and they decided that it would be better played as a woman. Fringe, very popular show with, um, with the next generation uh, sci-fi kind of feel to it. And again, the main character, the toughest agent of all of them is a woman. All right? Chuck. Okay, look at him. Just even look at that, look at that poster. Okay, I don't know if you've ever seen Chuck. She's like an assassin, spy, karate, knows everything, and he's not, right? He, was, he started out as a clerk at a Best Buy, I think, something like that, and no, you know, it, it, just even the whole way that it's, that it's portrayed. Now, almost any show on Disney, and we talked about this, and, and my kids watch a lot of Disney, so I don't want to dog all of Disney, but um, be careful, all of the characters in Disney, even though it doesn't harm you in like overt like sexuality or things like that on Disney, the, it's the way they show uh, men and women and, and things like that is very, I think it's very dangerous. Um, one of them, this was my daughter's like favorite movie. It was called Avalon High, and this was a Disney movie made for TV. I'm watching this. I'm like, why does she love this movie? And as I get into it, what, what the whole premise of the movie is that it's King Arthur's court and they're in like modern day times, but they actually then beam back and fight the battles against evil and you got Merlin and, and King Arthur and all that. Uh, has anyone seen this? Anybody know what I'm talking about? One person. Okay, so what is interesting about the main girl character? Do you remember? I don't remember. She's King Arthur. She, the, the head girl there that's walking down the aisle, she is the Arthur character who fights and wins the final battle in the end. All the guys are in the background, and she's thrust forward. She's the one who actually wins the battle. Um, Kim Possible loved this show, watched it with my daughter, thought it was great. But her, uh, her boyfriend in the show, Ron Stoppable, that's his name. Okay, she's Kim Possible because nothing's impossible for her. He's Ron Stoppable. He, his pants fell down like in every fight. Um, she wore like baggy pants, and he was always bumbling around. Um, Sweet Life, I can't stand the show. I'm sorry if you like it. The guy there uh, is just an idiot, um, and I hate the way that he's portrayed. And again, I, I won't let my kids watch it for that reason. Um, Hannah Montana was actually, there was some positive elements in Hannah Montana, the TV show, when it was on, because the dad was was actually engaged, and the girls never got it over on the dad. The dad was always portrayed smarter and wiser than his daughter, and that's what I, I liked about the show, actually. But her brother was a complete idiot through the show. So I'm just pointing that out. Wizards of Waverly Place, again, the parents are idiots. Uh, Nikita, now there's been so many morphs of this show. This show's been on, and this is actually the first one, La Femme Nikita, which came, it was a French movie that became a movie here in plain sight with Kate Hudson, Do you remember that one? And then they made it into a TV show, and this is from that first TV show. Now it's just called Nikita, not La Femme Nikita. And then there's actually been a couple of different morphs of this show, but it's always a woman character out front. Burn Notice, 
you finally have a guy who's a strong male character, but even if you really, Fee is the girl in this show, if you watch it, she's the assassin, she's the gun expert, she always wants to kill everybody and blow them up, and he, you know, is the cool-headed guy. Um, you even see a progression in Pirates of the Caribbean. Okay, again, the very first movie, right? The, the main star, the actress, the love interest is at home, she's pampered, she's in the dress. By the third movie, she's the captain of the pirate ship. Okay, telling Jack Sparrow what to do. And uh, this one I just put up there as a, kind of the ultimate of where it goes. There was a movie out. Uh, sorry, it is what it was called. It was called Kick-Ass, was the name of the movie. And um, interesting about a kid who becomes real-life superheroes, but the ultimate killing machine was this 11-year-old girl. She was the one who absolutely dominated everybody. Okay? Now, why to go through all this? When you are trying to impress upon your son or daughter who they are and who culture's telling them to be and who you're telling them to be, keep in mind that the media is also telling them who they are and telling them what they're supposed to be. We wonder why are girls so aggressive in high school or in junior high, sexually speaking, or going after guys and things like that. Well, they're getting this aggressive message constantly in every media source that, that we read about or that we see. Um, there's pressure for them to be everything. This is that Mark uh, Ragnaris. He's the guy who I said the article about uh, getting married young. But the pressure is on them for everything to, to be everything, to be the aggressor, to be like guys. And it, it just is constantly, even in the things that are bad about men, okay? Like uh, The Hangover, you remember, was a really popular movie. So this year we've got Bridesmaids which is the female version of The Hangover. The women are saying, you know, Hollywood is saying, hey, you think you can be raunchy, we can be just as raunchy as women. And you kind of see the ultimate example in this character. Does anybody know who that is? Anybody know? Snooki, all right? Uh, if you don't, aren't familiar with Jersey Shore, it's probably the, one of the most popular shows on TV for teens. Uh, it's a train wreck just watching these kids from New Jersey. It's a reality show. But Snooki is the most vulgar, like, she's a, I, I would ask one of my staff members, and like, yeah, she's a dude. I mean, she's a guy, and that's what's so intriguing about her. She is as raunchy or as bad as all the guys. Now, Snooki was the number one Halloween costume in 2010 of celebrities, number one celebrity costume that was uh, rented out in 2010, okay? Now... Again, why are we going through all this? It's interesting. Again, it's, I'm sorry because it's going to drive you crazy. You're just going to see female characters in the lead in front all the time now that I've pointed it out. Uh, I thought of like 10 more that I didn't even put up when I was putting this together. And the reason is to engage with your kids. Again, if, if it might be interesting. If you have a high school son who's 17, and I haven't even seen my idiot brother, I'm sure there are things in there that are objectionable in that movie. It's probably rated R. Why won't you take your son and go see it and talk about manhood, though? It might be interesting for you to sit down with him, watch the movie, and then go to Waffle House and engage his heart a little bit and say, hey, so tell me about that movie. What was funny? What wasn't? What do you think about the main character? Is that somebody you would like to be like? What, is, what qualities do you see that are something you want to emulate? Are your friends like that? Would your friends find you? You see what I'm saying? There's all kinds of things we can do to engage our kids and engage media, don't, instead of backing away from media, to embrace and, and go after it. Again, is to, to kind of unmask what's happening, I think, is a part of what we want to see happen here. Um, I told you each week we're going to also just to get, let, help you to get to know the youth staff a little bit. Last week or last month I talked about myself, just shared a little bit of my testimony and who I am. Uh, today, I want Jimmy Kim, who's our discipleship coordinator, he's going to come up and share just a little bit about who he is, so you can get to know him a little bit, and then uh, we'll continue on. Jimmy, come on up. All right. Friends, I can just tell you right now that I've made it. Uh, I never thought that I would ever have the opportunity to say that I got to follow Snooky. so <laughs> here I am. Um, my name is Jimmy Kim. I came to Perimeter in the early winter of 2009. And uh, I'll tell you a little bit about that as I tell you a little bit about who I am. Um, again, uh, I'm a Korean American, grew up outside the D.C. area, 
uh, in Montgomery County, Maryland. Um, my parents immigrated to the States in 1970, and they, my father was, um, you know, he's a mechanic and an ex-military man. Um, I've got tons of stories about my dad, but probably one of the coolest stories about him is when he was in his early 20s, I think it was actually in his late teens, kind of talks about this man crisis thing, the opposite of that. He was actually a South Korean spy and went into North Korea. And uh, he was the only one of his, of that group that went into North Korea that survived. And so I get to hear a lot of those types of stories. Not from him, I hear it from my mom. So, so I don't know. But uh, anyway, uh, and my mom is, you know, very typical Asian American woman. She's short, um, just very, <laughs> very passionate. Um, she is, I mean, she really is, uh, I believe, a powerful woman. Um, and more than anything, not her, not the way that she carried herself, but especially in regards to her faith and the power of prayer. And she was, what I, when I think, when someone says to me, prayer warrior, I think immediately of my mom. That's who my mom is to me. But uh, they came to the States in 1970. My brother was just born. And then I was born in 1979, so that makes me 32 years old. Uh, again, grew up in the D.C. area. Love D.C., love Maryland, D.C., Virginia. That's um, that was the only home that I knew for 19 years, and I came here at the age of 19 to go to college. Actually, I should back up a little bit. I went to the University of Maryland for a year, uh, go Terps, and, um, but I, I had it, I, I knew very certain um, by my senior year in high school that I was going to go into full-time ministry, um, and that's a, another story for another day, but um, my mentor, who was my college and youth pastor in Maryland, he moved down to Atlanta in 98, uh, which was my freshman year in college. And then a year out of the blue, he just called me and said, hey, Jimmy, I know that you said that you want to go into ministry. I've got an opportunity down here to you know, do some work with me, some, some student ministry. I'd love for you to come down, finish school down here, and I'd love to, to work with you and, and mentor you along this process that, you know, that, that you're walking. And after you know, months of, of prayer and fasting, uh, I made that decision. That was Almost, a, it was a terrifying decision. Again, at the age of 19, leaving everything that I knew. I was, I'm a, I'm a mama's boy. Um, it's just my brother and I, and he's nine years my senior, so he was really like my second dad. He was the dad that spoke English, whereas my father, father was the dad that spoke Korean. So I got it from both ends from them. So I was, I was glad to leave home, but at the same time, I was, I was very sad to leave home. But I came here, tender age of 19. Finished college at Atlanta Christian College, and I uh, was doing ministry at a Korean American church called New Church of Atlanta. Um, they're a PCA church, um, and that's actually where I heard about Perimeter. I'd been doing student ministry, college ministry, and young adult ministry there for for nine years. Um, and it's you know it's a mid-sized Korean church, about three to four hundred um, uh, adults and, and families. So it was. It was a very good experience. I learned a lot while I was there, but the whole time that I was there, and especially later on after I finished seminary or uh, got close to finishing seminary at a Reformed Theological Seminary here in Atlanta, um, I just felt a little bit of discontentment in my heart. Not so much about how the ministry was growing or not growing. That wasn't it. It was just more as I was doing ministry. Was it, was it supposed to be limited simply to one ethnicity or one subgroup of the community. And the more that I prayed about and thought about it, and as I observed where I was in Atlanta, just Atlanta is such a, a metropolitan, cosmopolitan city. It is, it is so diverse. Um, I have a good friend of mine who does a lot of apartment ministries, and he said that the Shambly Dorable area, five mile radius of that is the most diverse area on the planet. More than New York City, more than LA, more than anywhere else. And that just was astounding to me to hear that there were so many nationalities and ethnicities and languages represented right where I was doing ministry. And yet here I was ministering only to Asian Americans who spoke English. And uh, I was praying about it. My wife and I were just at a point where we're just like, okay, this is a great opportunity for us to leave. Where would we go? Not really having any ideas of pursuing ministry or doing ministry outside of the Korean American church. We didn't know what, where to go. And so we just said, okay, well, we've heard about Perimeter. We know Perimeter is, is an influential place in the, in the community. So let's just go there and just kind of hang out, go to church. And uh, it was in that process that I met Jeff. I uh, actually emailed him a year before and just said, hey, just want to know what you guys are doing with the Asian American community in Johns Creek. 
And that really just started off a, a chain reaction. I believe God was really implementing and guiding those steps for me to come to Perimeter. First as a, an intern raising support, then uh, there was a, a position that opened up, um, the BRICS resident, I came into that, and I was in that position for about nine, 10 months, and then the discipleship coordinator position came up, and I decided to throw my name into the hat, and um, that's where I am today. And uh, it is something that, that I love to do. I, I love getting to know students and, and just where they are, and also interacting with parents and understanding, hey, you know, we live in a very different world, as Jeff just explained. The culture that is vying for the attention and, and the love of, the, of our students. And where is the church in all of this? Where is the gospel in all of this? Obviously, we don't see it on the television or hear it on the radio nearly enough, uh, if at all. And uh, that's why I find it so important for us as a church to, to, to come together, not only be praying for them, but also actively pursuing them, whether it's through discipleship or outreach events. And so that is something to, that I feel very strongly called to. Um, and then let me also just say that um, a part of me wanting to come to Perimeter, again, was really the location and the influence of this church. Um, and I think about Johns Creek, and for me, for the 10 years that I was here before coming to Perimeter, I always thought Johns Creek, Suwannee, you know, um, you know, Norcross and Duluth, I always only saw the Asian places there. Um, obviously because I'm Asian, so when I want to go to a good Korean restaurant, I know where all, all, where all of those are. If I wanted to go to a good Vietnamese restaurant, I knew where all of those were, the Chinese restaurants. And so I saw Johns Creek, I saw North Fulton County, I saw Gwinnett County as an Asian place. Um, and so when I thought about Perimeter, I was like, wow, there's this big church in, you know, in this Asian community, and little do I know that there's so much more going on behind it. But but I think about our schools that we reach out to, whether it's Northview or Johns Creek or Norcross or any of the many schools that we reach out to. But I think about primarily Johns Creek and Northview and how many Asian students there are. And how are we as parents um, ministering to them? And are we ministering to them? How are we as a church bridging gaps? And do we want to bridge a gap? How are we reaching the community? And, and that's why I feel so strongly called here is so that students would identify first with their faith in Christ, who they are in Christ, before the color of their skin or the color of their hair, their, their social, social, socioeconomic uh, upbringing. So that's something that I'm very passionate about. Let me just say real quickly, I am married, been married for six years to my wife, Shen Kim. I don't have a picture, um, but she is uh, an epidemiologist, a research scientist for the CDC, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. We have a 20-month-old daughter, Evangeline. So if you ever worked in the nursery, you've probably seen her. Uh, she is the cutest thing. So that's a little bit about me and my family. Thank you very much. And Jeff. Thanks, Jimmy. So if you need a good Korean restaurant, Jimmy knows where they're all at. Um, all right, last... Uh, let me... Last month, we, we talked about, uh, I want to just review, because I know there's probably some people here who weren't here, and I don't know if you had a chance to listen to the podcast. The podcast is up now and operational, but I want to do a quick review, because we're going to kind of start there um, for to, to launch off and kick off today's talk. Last month, we talked about the idea that when our kids are little, it's very easy to, we kind of feel like we've got to control the environment that they live in. We can control these, these uh, barriers or this bunker that we kind of can keep our kids in is something we, uh, that we can control who they hang out with, when they cross the street, where they play. Uh, we have control over a lot of their environmental factors, right? Um, now, there's something about this do you remember there's something about this that's kind of uh, deceiving? Does anybody remember what's deceiving about this particular slide? It shows the evil of the world coming in at them. What is, what is, what's not entirely accurate about that? Right, is that, there's, uh, that there is evil within our hearts, right? The heart is actually the issue. Uh, temptation and things like that definitely are a part of our environment and are happening all around us on the outside, but... Um, it's, it is so easy for us as parents to kind of get into that idea that it's all out there. And if we can just keep our kids bunkered in and keep them protected, that they're not going to run up against some of these different factors. Um, Jeremiah 17, 9 
uh, says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Or Matthew 15, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. Okay, so again, you have this idea presented clearly in Scripture that if we just focus on the outward, on the influences and things like that, we're going to miss the mark. It's what's in here that has to be addressed. And again, in James 1, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Okay? He's lured and enticed by his own desire. I think that we all get this when our kids are little, because, right, we didn't teach them to sin. When they're two or three, suddenly that sin nature just rears its ugly head, and they say the first word all our kids learn to speak is no, and the second word is usually mine. <laughs> okay? Now, maybe that goes dormant for a while, but guess what? It comes back in the teen years. <laughs> no and mine come back with a vengeance, right, when they, when they become teenagers. And so it just is a little more uh, slick the way they present it. But, uh, but it, it definitely comes back, and we have to keep in mind that even if you can control the environment, even if you could protect your child and everything that you're doing, what's the ultimate destination, Right? The ultimate destination is we all have a job to do, and you're going to be their parents forever, but there comes a point where they're going to leave the nest, um, and they are going to be surrounded in an environment where you're not there. There's no one there at University of Georgia to put up the barriers. There is no one there to stop the internet connection. There's no one there to keep them from having a sleepover or whatever. It's all wide open. Okay, And we have to ask ourselves, what are we doing? Because this end point is coming. All right, It's, it's coming so fast. It's rapidly approaching. Uh, if you have a junior in high school right now or a senior, right now your senior in high school, would you feel comfortable leaving town and leaving your senior at home for a week? You got to ask yourself that. Would you say, okay, we'll, we'll leave, honey. I got, here's some money. Um, for emergencies, or you got your debit card, and we're going to be, here's the numbers where we're staying, you got your cell phone and everything, and we're going away for a week, me and your dad, okay? Now, some of you may say, no, I would, I would never do that. Okay, well, you're six months away from dropping them off at the dorm. <laughs> really? In six, seven months, eight months, nine months, you are taking them and dropping them off at the dorm of a university, where they have, they control their own money, they control their schedule, they control every single thing that they're going to be doing. If you can't do that, that's a problem. In fact, maybe as you're, when they're juniors, you should be able to do that. If you're really thinking ahead on how to get them ready for what they're going to be facing. Okay? So we have to get them ready. Um, we have to expose them in high school and in junior high. Expose them to the world uh, so that they don't go buck wild when they get to the University of Georgia, right? We've all seen, again, this may be our experience, or we know someone who it's their experience, where you think, oh, did you hear about Johnny? Oh, he's such a, he was such a good kid in high school, but he got to college and just went crazy. What happened there? Well, again, now it's, part of what we want to say is college is evil, you know, or that, and it is. It's debauchery on steroids, right? In a lot of places, it's there if you want to find it. But the the problem was that was in Johnny's heart all along, okay? He was, he was working on that. So we, again, talked about last week this whole idea of teaching our kids, going after the heart, and teaching discernment, right? Teaching them to interact with the world. Um, Philippians 1.9, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Now, we went into this whole scenario last, last month about your junior high son. Goes, he's, thir or he's 13 years old. He goes to a friend's house, and there's like four or five boys in the basement, and they're watching a movie. And they, somebody has HBO or a movie channel, and uh, American Pie is on. Or you could take it as far. It, it, the scenario is just as plausible that they want to watch 
pay-per-view pornography. But we'll, we'll back it down to just a, 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 an appropriate movie, okay? And what is he going to do? The, does anyone remember? What's option number one? Well, that's option two, but we can do that. He could call his mom. That's your option one, but that's a good one. <laughs> option one, he could call mom. What's, what's another thing he could do? He could call mom. He could watch it. Okay, well, at least in, when, I, when I went through the scenario, the first option is he could just watch the movie, right, and totally fall on his face. He could call mom. It's option two. I have to get him in order because it fits with my notes, okay? Uh, <laughs> number three is he could do what? You said it. He could, we, I, I assume there was a pool table in the next room that he could go and play pool and not participate in watching the movie and do that. And then there was option four. What was option four? Witness to them or tell them to stop watching it, okay, and engage them. Now, stop watching it would probably be the bad approach uh, for him, but could he, is he equipped to engage and talk about that idea? Now, that, this, this is option four, okay? This is what I believe is the biblical model that we're all supposed to be working towards with our kids, right? And this is the model that we're supposed to be modeling for them, and we're all supposed to be this. We're supposed to be salt and light, and we're supposed to be equipping our kids to be salt and light, where they're the influencers, where they're the ones that are uh, making a difference. Um, now, it's funny, when we talked about this, you know, a lot of people laughed and started shaking their heads, and I, I understand that, because you think, what 13-year-old is going to be able to do this, okay? Now, it's not as far-fetched as you might think. I actually heard about a 10-year-old who was um, recently... Some kids were looking at something inappropriate, and he was told to go to sleep, and, and they wanted to get on TV, and they were told not to do that. And he, he fell asleep, and he put the remote control under him so that the other kids couldn't get to it. I mean, this is a 10-year-old doing that, so it's possible. If he's at that stage, at least, could he progress to be where he needs to be? I think it's possible. Okay, but when your kid's 18, what's going to be happening in the dorm at UGA? Is he going to be equipped then to engage? and to, to uh, not only avoid the situation. Um, so, you know, we talked about that. I think it might be interesting now, though, to take this exact same scenario, and let's look at it from the parent's perspective. That's what I want to do today, is go, okay, you're the parent, and what happens? Now, let's say option one happens. All right? Um, the first option, he watches the movie, and he totally falls on his face. What's your reaction? You find out what he was watching when he gets home. Now, as parents, and I'm just going to generalize some of these things, we could freak out, right? We could be totally mortified. We could shame him. Like, how could you do that? How could you, how could you watch that? That's disgusting. And, and really pile on him. Um, get on the phone, talk to the moms and say, I can't believe your kid did this, or let my kid do that, or look what our kids were doing together. And our instinct is immediately to go back in bunker mode, right? You're not hanging out with those guys anymore. You're not doing that anymore. Um, we have 1 Corinthians 15, right? Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals, okay? So we can, it's biblical. Stay away from those kids, right? Uh, we, don't want, we don't want that. You're grounded for a year, Okay? <laughs> All that can happen next. We throw him back in the bunker, right? Problem is he's a little big for the bunker now. <laughs> he's under lockdown. Your phone's gone. Facebook's turned off. You just now socially and the way teens communicate now, you've completely ostracized him from his entire world by taking away Facebook, cell phone, texting, no TV, and it's going to push him towards rebellion. You can tell this one's in rebellion because he's got the mohawk there. Um, and he's not, not very happy. And we've failed to address the heart. You do this long enough and often enough, and what could happen is he or she develops a double life. They're not stupid, right? Teenagers are actually really smart. And they go, okay, I see that the way that I want to operate, the behavior that I want to do, is not, um, this isn't the where you want me to go. I will show you the face that I want you to see. There are layers. Kids, there's a great book called Hurt by Chap Clark. Now, he's a little over the top in some of his 
ideas or the things that he thinks, but he's amazing in just talking about this whole idea that students especially are really layered. They live, and he calls it the world beneath. The real self of who they are is buried really deep, down, underneath. And they probably don't let hardly anybody see it. Maybe their best friend, who's their peer, gets to see it. Uh, it's, it's funny, because when I talk to parents often, and they're like, well, I really know my kid. I'm thinking, okay, well, you know the face of your kid. You know what they're showing you at home and, and what, what that is. But deep down, there's another thing going on uh, that you don't see. Probably hardly anybody sees it. Again, maybe a best friend. In fact, in student ministry, that's one of the things that we actually try to do. That's one of the reasons your D group leader is so important or some mentor, someone speaking into your kid's life. Because when your child starts to struggle with things that they're not comfortable sharing with you, they start, again, diving and pushing that stuff down. And you want somebody to at least be able to expose and see what's going on in their heart. I, when I am with a new group of students, I usually consider it a victory when they cuss around me. Okay, why is that? Because they're starting to let their guard down. They're starting to be real. They're starting to forget that, hey, wait, he's not a kid. He's not... He's an adult. He's in the room. But, but there's a level of comfort and intimacy that suddenly now they are letting me in. And I can see the heart because I know then how to apply what needs to be done because I can see down into the heart. Uh, some other things of how you might know if your child's living a double life. This is why being on Facebook and things like that are important. Um, having access to that, to know. A lot of times that is a sign. You'd, it's unbelievable what they'll put on. They'll put anything on Facebook. And they just start, you know, basically saying, this is who I am. You're not, I'm not this at home, but here it is. And it's out there. Um, so you can see it in, in places like that. If they never want their friends to come over, if they never want to take their friends to church, if they, you know, there's, those are just different signs because they don't want the two worlds to collide, right? If I bring my cool school friends to church where I'm a different person, or if I bring them home, then I'm exposed. Okay, so those are just, it's not cut and dried, there's lots of reasons they might not do that, but that's, that could be a sign of what's going on there. Okay, so that's one possible scenario, right? We could freak out. We could put the kid in lockdown. It could uh, produce rebellion, or, again, this rebellion is actually almost better in some ways because you see what's going on in their heart. The double life is actually a lot more dangerous because they're really just as, their heart is just as far, but you're not going to know because they're really good at hiding it, okay? Now, what if they chose option two or three? Again, we said those are levels of victory, right? Option two or three are levels of victory. This is what I was like in high school, okay? And I think a lot of our students are like this as well. They kind of get half the gospel. They understand being righteous, pursuing God is an important thing, and personal righteousness is something that they want to pursue. But what is wrong with this picture here? Okay, look at the arrows of influence, right? It's good that the influence isn't getting to them, but what is the, what's the, just as bad? There's no influence from them going to anybody, all right? They think, I can go, I can operate in these different environments, I can do this, and I'm not going to be the gospel to anybody, but I'm not going to let that get to me either. And if you think about it, all that's happening here is another bunker. It's just their own bunker, all right? They're kind of building a bunker around themselves, um, and it, it kind of limits the influence. If we're not careful as parents, we can reinforce this idea, right? You called me, okay, let's, you called me to come pick you up, which is great. I would reinforce that that's great. I would talk about that. But then how do you engage? Remember, if the ultimate goal is the salt and light picture, that there's salt and light to everybody, how are you going to take them from you're in, you're in, a, a good, not as bad as you could be. You're in a good place, but you need to move it even, even farther. All right, we got to push them down the road and engage in that discussion um, even further to push them out of the bunker, even if it's a bunker of their own making, so that they're influential and that they're interacting. Um, because if we don't, this could really turn in. What does somebody like this turn into after years and years of this? Anybody know? Self-righteous Pharisee, right? Because you start to think, I, I'm doing fine, everybody else is bad, 
And we start, again, we, the heart is, can still be just as far from God. Look at the older brother and the prodigal son. The heart can still be just as far. You can feel like you're doing everything right, and everybody else is doing everything wrong. But the heart, a great book for you guys. If you, are, if you have kids, again, Prodigal God by Tim Keller. If you have students that are at private Christian school or homeschooled, read Prodigal God. It is, if you have kids in rebellion, in fact, just read it. It's a great book. But it'll help you if you start thinking of your kids in terms of covenant kid or kid in rebellion. And look at the two brothers. It's very, it's very insightful uh, for those things. All right? Okay, get going here. Um, part of this is what's scary about our kids interacting in the world, right? We want them to be influencing others. We want them to be salt and light and having influence with, with others. But the problem is that other arrow, right? That other arrow comes right back, um, continuing to test and reveal what's in the heart. And that's the key for us, is to realize that as they interact with the world, th- that's only bringing out what's already there. It's, all, it's bringing out what's already in our kids when they have that opportunity to fail. And that's why this is, becomes that teachable moment for us. When our kids fail... That's a good thing. Because you want your kids to fail at home. You want to go away while your kid's a senior in January, knowing that he might have that party and mess up while you're gone, because then you're still here. You're still interacting with him or her. You still have the ability to engage them about that situation, where if you wait and just take them to the dorm and drop them off, then whatever they get into, they're 100 miles away. They're 1,000 miles away. You're not there to help them pick up the pieces and engage and start to to do that. And and part of it is we've got to stop being shocked by our kids' sin when it happens. Uh, We take it personally. We take it as a reflection on us uh, that I'm a bad parent because my child has this in their heart. Well, no, we can blame Adam and Eve for that, all right? That's not, that's not your fault. You don't have that much power. You don't have that much power if your kid is awesome, and you don't have that much power if your kid is totally messing up. You and I are supposed to be going after the heart and teaching discernment, but we don't have the ability to do that. It's not a reflection on us. So we take this teachable moment. Now, that's why Paul Tripp, another great author, his book's called Age of Opportunity, but he calls this the opportunity, the opportunity when your kids are teenagers to go after and engage the heart. So let's go through that scenario again, right? You, they, they, he's watched the movie that's inappropriate, and let's talk about maybe some ways that we could go after the heart in that scenario, all right? Um, number one, dads. In that kind of situation, probably dads need to take the lead, Right? Because this is a, a predominantly guy struggle, the whole lust issue um, thing. So probably dads need to take the lead on that. Now, if you're a single mom or dad's always gone on business or things like that, mom, you might have to deal with that because you're called to do it at that point in time. Uh, if you're a single mom again and your son's in a discipleship group, you might want to engage the D group leader or mentor again to come alongside you and help do this because... That is a struggle that's common to man, and it it would be good for dads to engage in this. Um, All right, then two, probe why he fell into this in the first place. Was it simply a curiosity, lust issue, or was it peer pressure? Maybe he didn't want to watch it, and he knew it was wrong, but he knew he'd be ridiculed and so on if he didn't. So see, there's two different heart issues to address there. Is it a peer pressure issue which you go in a whole different direction with, or is it a lust issue on sexuality? Okay, see, you might go after the wrong problem if you don't spend some time drawing him out to find out what happened in that scenario. Okay? Next, um, affirm sexual desire and curiosity is a positive thing. Remember, who created sexual desire? God. Who made women mysterious and awesome? God. It's a wonderful thing. It's a natural thing. It's a natural thing that he would be curious about this. It's a natural thing. And so again, that whole, if we, if we go right to a shaming you know, situation, we can really cause some issues there. We, you know, we just need to be careful about that. It's good to talk about the positive nature of sexuality. Okay, But see, that's just it. We then have to go from that 
into talking about how God designed sexuality and why God designed sexuality to be in a monogamous relationship between a husband and wife and go back to Genesis and man and woman. And, and go, you know, we got to go into all of, do we spend time? Most parents either don't talk about sex at all with their kids or they have the sex talk like one time. And you have, this is a conversation that you have to have with your kids really all the way until they graduate. You've got, and, and beyond, <laughs> probably. You've got to continue this conversation. It's not something that you just get to do once or you get to avoid because if you're not, the whole world is teaching them about negative sexuality all the time, every day, every TV show, every song on the radio, everything all the time. And you and I have to be a voice that goes against that. Talk about the exploitation of women. Okay, if, uh, if we're not getting anywhere on the one, on the one area, what, how about objectifying women in this situation? How are the women portrayed? Would you like to see, would you appreciate it if your mother was in a movie like that? Or if your sister was in a movie like that? You've got to personalize because what they're doing is the woman is an object and you've got to take it to a personal level. And then they start to go, oh gosh, I would hate that. Well, guess what? That actress is someone's mom and someone's daughter and someone's sister. And you start to personalize that. Um, you got to talk about the fact for a man, at least, lust is going to be a part of their life forever. It's going to be a struggle that they have to deal with the rest of their life. It's not something that goes away, not when you get married, not when you turn 40. It doesn't go away. I had a pastor mentor who's like in his 70s, he's like 78 now, and he's like, I'm sorry, Jeff, it never stops. It just keeps going, all right? Again, I don't know why God designed men that way, but he did. And we're, again, there's positive aspects to that. But there's negative. So he's got to learn to deal with it for his whole life, not just this scenario. How are, is he going to seek out accountability relationships the rest of his life? He's, you've got to teach him that he has to seek that out, okay? What are those accountability structures? Um, sin has consequences. You've got to start talking about that. Those images that you see are with you. Guess what? They're with you now. Close your eyes. Can you see the image now? Yes, you can. Guess what? Ten years from now, close your eyes. Can you still see the image? Yes, you can. Guess what? That's with you forever. It's going to stay with you. Now, you forget some of them, but there's plenty in there rolling around in your head somewhere, okay? Sin has consequences. Sin has consequences in our family. There, there is an appropriate punishment for what happened, and you've got to determine what that is. Walk him through that, okay? Um, spend time talking about where his heart was and where the hearts of his friends are. Are his friends Christians or non-Christians? How was he salt and light? Again, go back to what is the ultimate goal, is that he would be an influencer. What did he do to his witness in that situation? How, uh, how can he take steps now? Walk through him how to take steps now to do that. And then even how do we engage in that level all the time, like next time he goes into a situation where he's going to a sleepover, then we want to do preemptive. In fact, you should probably be doing that now. Hey, what happens if you get in this scenario? Let's paint the picture for him now and coach them now. And if you go to your friend's house and they want to watch a movie, what are you going to do? What's your strategy? What would God have you do? Why? You see what I'm saying? We can, this whole cycle can just go over and over and over again in how we do that. Now, we just went down a whole bunch of steps. I probably left some out. It's complicated, isn't it? This whole parenting thing is hard. It's difficult. Option one is so much easier, right? You're grounded forever. Don't hang out with those friends. That is way easier than engaging him on all of these different levels, right? It's just so much easier. It's so much better. Uh, not better, but that's, again, you've got to go after the heart. But why am I back at this slide? You can do everything perfectly, and you don't have any control over this. Remember, we can't control the environment 100%. You can't control the heart 100% either. In fact, you have no control over the heart. God is Lord of the heart. Ezekiel 11, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit, and I will put it within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Remember, A plus B doesn't equal C. You and I can go through the steps, we can do these things, but we can't change their heart. God is Lord of the heart. We all need to be praying more. That is one thing we can do as far as praying. And it doesn't mean we don't stop teaching them the truth, and it doesn't mean we don't stop modeling the truth, but 
we have to continue to go after the heart. Um, let's end with this, this slide. Uh, in talking about where uh, discernment and teaching these things and going after the heart and inner interacting with the world. Let's take a positive example, okay? We've done this, the negative with the, with the kid. Um, last year, or actually it was a few years ago, we had a, I had a parent come to me, and you know, we have a conference here every year, a student-led called Gold Rush, and kids get to be doing ministry and on these different servant teams. And, I, and we have a rule that says a student can only be on one servant team. Uh, and there's a lot of reasons for the rule, and I don't need to go into that really, but we have this rule that you can only be on one servant team, and I had a dad come to me, and he said, hey, I'd really like to ask permission for my daughter to be on two servant teams because she was a very gifted dancer and a very gifted musician. And he said, you know, it's just be awesome. She, and she was a great kid. I mean, really was solid in every regard. And he's like, she can handle it. She can handle the pressure. And all of that, I'll tell you, for me, it was really hard because I thought, yes, she's a great kid. Absolutely, she can handle both of those. This seems like a very reasonable request. And for some reason, God just impressed upon me at that moment. And I just said, you know, we're not going to do that. And isn't it awesome that you have the opportunity while your child is still at home to help them wrestle with difficult things? I said, I bet you have a really difficult job and you have to make hard decisions every week, don't you? And he's like, yeah, I do. And I knew what this guy did for a living, and trust me, he had a lot of responsibility. And I said, I bet you have to choose between good things that happen on a regular basis. And he said, yes, I do. And, and I said, okay, your daughter is going to have to take this and actually go to the Lord with this problem. And she's going to have to wrestle with what are her friends on the dance team going to think if she chooses music? And what are her friends on the music team going to think if she chooses dance? And she's going to have to actually go to God and say, which one would you rather me do? Would you rather I do this, Lord? And actually, instead of making the decision based on her own desires, she's got to go. You're, you're pushing her to the Lord to make this difficult decision. Okay, now, here she, she's developing a sense of self, a sense of the ability to discern, the ability to uh, look into this, and really the ability to go to God with serious, big issues that she needs to wrestle with in life. And, and they did this. And when I was saying it, it was amazing just to see his face change as I was just talking about how, what an opportunity this was for her not to get to do both things. And for him and his wife to get the privilege of walking through that with her while she wrestled with a difficult decision. Okay, so even in a positive thing, we want to drive our kids into this ability to make decisions. Now when it's time for her to choose a college or choose whether or not to join that sorority or choose whether or not to do whatever, she under, you know, she's developing that process of, of thinking critically, discerning, seeking God. Okay, so it happens in positive things too. It's not just in negative situations with our kids that we need to be pushing them towards these things. Um, Again, just what we're going to probably talk about next month, and, and uh, some, we got some announcements to go over that are, that are pretty important. Next month, because of Thanksgiving, we are meeting on the 20th, okay, the 20th of November instead because of Thanksgiving holiday. A lot of people said, about half of you said you were going to be out of town, so next month we're going to be meeting on the 20th. Um, and we're probably going to be going into really, we've talked a lot about the heart now, we've talked about some of these things. How do you communicate with your kids? And how do you go after the heart? How do you keep those lines of communication open uh, is where I want to go next month. And um, let me see if we got, we got some other slides here that I want to show you. Um, that's our lovely youth staff, but you can look at that later. Um, we have a new blog that's going up for Watershed that you're going to have uh, access to. And I hope that you were able to see uh, just different resources. We've been working on um, a new blog, and you should have gotten also, well, that won't, that won't change over, um, with our parent update email. If you're not signed up for that, also you can contact Ashley and sign up for the parent email that goes out. Mark, I couldn't, yeah, there we go, you can move that. So we've been working on some of this stuff for a long time. Um, we definitely want that to be a resource for you. Uh, again, this talk will be podcast, and again, I'll try to put those links to those articles up that I mentioned 
on the man crisis as well as a resource for you. So let me, let me pray. And uh, if you're D group leaders here, again, we'd love for this to be a time for you to connect with them. If they're not here, call them and say, hey, we, I want to hang out with you at Parent U. Uh, D group leaders, of course, I know you're telling your parents to be here as well. But um, let me say a word of prayer and uh, we'll be dismissed for today. Heavenly Father, thank you again. Uh, Lord, we know that you're not taken by surprise with any of the things that we face as parents. And, um, and you have raised us up to be parents at such a time as this. Lord, give us wisdom and discernment. Give us uh, the ability to engage the hearts of our kids, to uh, help us to see clearly what's going on in their lives. And then, Lord, just help us to apply the balm of your spirit and your word. Lord, help us to be a billboard for Christ, uh, someone that enjoys you immensely in our home. Uh, Give us healthy marriages. Give us a healthy walk with you that would model that for our kids as well. Um, Guide and direct us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to the Parent University Podcast. Parent U is a part of the student ministries at Perimeter Church in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit the student ministries website at www.perimeter.org slash students for more information. Thank you.